Independent. Expressive of a spirit of independence, self-confident, unconstrained. Hello, friends. Welcome to Independence Day. I'm ever so pleased to welcome you to the show that examines the changing face of the music business and the people who are doing the changing. Independence Day brings you independent artists, producers, and music industry visionaries with in-depth interviews, live performances, and inside information, all without hype and direct from the artists who practice their craft. This week on Independence Day, Austin McCutcheon. Austin McCutcheon is a rambler, a young singer-songwriter who wanders and who wanders with intent, and the characters, experiences, and epiphanies large and small that he has along the way form the backbones of his traditionalist country songs. McCutcheon wears a hat and boots, but he's no modern urban cowboy country pop poster boy. There is dirt on his boots and sweat on the brim of his hat, and his songs have a timeless quality that make them feel instantly familiar. It's the kind of authenticity that Detroit co-ops and tries to use to sell pickup trucks. McCutcheon's rich baritone is the voice of a trustworthy narrator, a man whose heartache and vulnerability is palpable in the verses and whose resignation and wisdom quietly ambles around by the refrain. His writing is the kind of open spaces Americana found in the tradition of country singers who favor the mountains of the American West over Nashville or the plains of Texas. It's a style that makes grand subjects sound intimate and small subjects sound grand, and it's all delivered in an understated economical delivery in which no word is wasted. McCutcheon is still working on his full-length debut album, but he has already established himself among the best of Los Angeles' next generation of talented artists. Welcome to Independence Day, Austin McCutcheon. Hey, Austin. Hi, how's it going? How you doing, man? I'm doing well. How are you? I'm, w- I'm, I'm very well. It's summertime, finally. I love summertime. Summertime, I mean, do you like summertime? Are you, uh, are uh, you a yeah. summer guy? Big fan of summer. Good, 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 good. Well, I've been watching you play around town for a while. I've seen you down at the Grand Ole Echo, maybe caught you at other random shows. And it's interesting to have you on the show because, uh, for a number of reasons, but first and foremost, because you're good at what you do. And that's one of the, my favorite things to have is people who, are, who know what they're doing. Thanks. Or at least are pretending at it very, very well. A kid, that's a joke. Uh, but you're... You're also, you're kind of like, not, we don't look alike, but you're kind of like my life doppelganger. Yeah, it's pretty strange. Like, as I've talked to you the couple times that I've talked to you so far, and we'll find out more about this today. Like, if you find, if I find out that your mother's name's Mary, it's going to creep me out a little bit. But we were born in somewhat southern areas, you in Missouri, myself in Alabama, but then we came to the Chicago area, western suburbs specifically mm-hmm. of Chicago. I've spent our formative years there, spent some time in New York, which we both did, and then we both uh, wound up in California which here we are, and we've both got, as far as I can tell, a deep and abiding love for the Sierra Nevada mm-hmm. mountains. Yep. So it's such an interesting coincidence, I think. A set of coincidences. Yeah, I, uh, I would agree. We should be drinking a lot more beer together, I think. We have Probably. a lot of stories we could Probably. exchange. Probably. Um, so let's get started talking about, I want to talk about writing first and foremost, because like watching you play these songs and like seeing what you're about, seems like writing is a really, really important thing to you. Am I, have I got that correct? Uh, yeah, I, I care about it a lot. And now are you, who are the people like growing up? I mean, how much, how old were you when you left Missouri? Were like, were you a young kid? Were you a baby? Well, the last time I was living there, I was, uh, 18 or not, I was 19, um, and uh, I, so I was like a late teenager. I was living in Springfield. But, okay. But I, I was sort of raised in Joplin area, like south of there a little bit. And we moved sort of back and forth between there and the suburbs of Chicago growing up. So I lived okay. there in like a few different longer stints. But yeah. Um, yeah, the last time was in my late teens. Now, to me, you know, I never really lived in Alabama growing up. As an infant, I did. Mm-hmm. Um, but was brought north after that. I mean, those cultures. I mean, Missouri's not quite as, like, southern 
yeah. as Alabama is, but it's definitely you know, closer to that kind of thing on that continuum. I mean, for me, it was like there was a lot of like chipped shoulders in Alabama. I was a Yankee mm-hmm. to them. Did you suffer that same kind of thing when you would come back from Chicago to Missouri? Like, was there animosity or no? No, not not as much not as much there. I think there there was a little bit of a vibe. I sort of grew up in a small church community there, and there was a little bit of a vibe where they felt like I was like maybe a little bit uppity or 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 something like that. And uh, I never I never noticed the as much as of an intense like any level of like animosity or anything like that. Yeah. But when I would I had some cousins from Texas, and when I would go down there. I definitely felt. The funny thing about Texas, though, Texas thing. feels that about everyone who's not Texas, though. Yeah. I mean, you could be from a state farther south than Texas, and they would still think they were more southern than you. Sure. Yeah. It's a funny Texas thing. But I like Texas for the most part. Yeah, Texas is cool. They have a... my. You know what? Texas was, uh, when I moved to California, Austin was my second choice. Mm-hmm. Um, and I went and stayed there, did like a research trip, ate a lot of Mexican food, went down to 6th Street, went to you know the clubs and saw lots of bands. Saw, uh, <laughs> what's his name? Rob Schneider mm-hmm. did his do his thing there. Uh, and I love the town. It's a great town, a very progressive town. But like their their zeal for the death penalty, yeah, actually turns me off. Like it's it's uh, it's a thing. It's a thing for me. Um, so, where did the music come from in your family? I guess I'm not getting to the writing yet, but I'm building up to that. Like, mm-hmm. where did the music come from in your family? Was if it was it church music? You said you were in a church community before. Did yeah, you, we, was it start there? Yeah, we we all grew up in church. Um, there's always gospel music in the house and. Um, like the, like my, my parents, my mom specifically and her mom and her sister, they all listen to the Gaither vocal band and like stuff like that. It's like Bill Gaither. And I think a lot of that stuff and grew up singing the hymns, um, Mm -hmm. in church and, uh, at at a young age learned, learned the hymns and learned how to sing harmonies and the hymns and like all that stuff. So that's sort of, I think where, where the music things rooted in my family and still exists. My, my, my brother's, uh, the, the music leader of a church uh-huh. in Oklahoma, and um, was my there, sister too. And, have you? Yeah, do you know what shape note singing is? Mm-hmm. You familiar? Was there? Yes. Was there that kind of thing growing no, up for no, you? None of the sacred harp singing stuff, but like more, uh, like less, like more. I, I guess. I guess compared to that, it would be more contemporary. But like, yeah. A, um, but yeah, like like sort of all the like classic stuff. Yeah. Did you read uh, Charlie Leuven's book? from the Leuven brothers about growing up. Like they grew up in rural Alabama doing like shape note singing and sacred harp and things like that. And it was fat. I mean, I, my grandmother does some of that. Here's an interesting tidbit. My great grandfather, my grandmother's father, Zadok Tanksley, Mm -hmm. uh, has songs published in some of those old, like gospel style, you know, song books, Mm -hmm. you know, it's very, very, and I, and I've seen the things, I mean, I, if I read music better with that kind of, that kind of singing, I might be able to play it on piano or something, but it doesn't translate to guitar very well, I'm afraid. Yeah. Um, but, uh, so, and how does that inform your music now? Um, well, well, I, uh, I mean, I, I think it definitely had like an impact on me wanting to sing. There's like, there's like a, I don't know, like, like elaborate on that. What do you mean? How does it inform? Well, uh, you're not a gospel singer. No. Right? But having that be your formative musical experience in terms, like you said before, using your own words, like you learned harmony and you learned, you know, song structure. I mean, as a kid, you know, if you're just around it, it just comes in by osmosis. Yeah. Right? I mean, is there something in your music now that you think you've taken from that or is it just as simple as song structure? Well, I, I think like for me, maybe like the connection to the feeling I get from the performance thing, like, like, where is that? 
that sort of uh, way way of of celebrating or worshiping or like praising through the sound the the sound of music is like based on feeling and spirituality mm-hmm. or something. I think maybe maybe that's carried through a little bit for me personally. Yeah. Would you ever consider doing a gospel record? Um, or a gospel inspired yeah, record because like guys like Johnny Cash like they were right there with that stuff you know it's, it's like the thing my my mom wants me to do <laughs> <laughs> so therefore you're not going to do it or therefore no, you are going to do no, it no I, 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 I guess I've put some thought into it but haven't yeah you know yeah. I'm kind of just like thinking about what I'm doing right now. Well, you've got your own stuff to yeah. your own stuff to do. And let's hear some of that stuff. You've got uh you've got a new project. I mean, we're gonna circle back around. I'm gonna get to that writing thing, I promise. Um, but we're kind of working our way to it. But uh, you've got a new project called White uh, that's how the Southerners would say it. White yeah. the White White Bark Pine. Tell me about this project, then I want to hear this song. Um yeah, I, I started this with a couple of buddies of mine, uh, another songwriter named Eric Smith and another uh a guy from out east, Willie Leibowitz and um, Eric and Willie are both really good songwriters. I met Eric working up in the Sierra Nevada. He's a park ranger, and uh, we we sort of hit it off musically. We're both deadheads, and we, we were like the Grateful Dead, and so we kind of like bonded on that. And then um, he writes a lot. He's a really good poet and writes all these beautiful lyrics and has a really high tenor voice. And so we started singing together, and then um, Willie kind of fell into it through Eric because they went to they went to school together and they've been friends for a long time and Willie's a really great mandolin player and um, instrumentalist and good singer and writes really cool songs so we sort of put together the three-part harmony thing over a camping trip basically and then um, kind of kept at it for for like a over the course of like a couple years yeah and um, then we kind of like all moved away from each other and then ended up reconnecting to make record this record up in a house in the Eastern Sierra. And so we're, we're finally getting around to putting that out. Okay. Uh, so this is uh, Austin McCutcheon. This is a trio project that he's got going. It's called White Bark Pine. Uh, it's him and a couple people he met up in Yosemite area, Sierra Nevada, which is just about my favorite place in the known universe. Uh, this is the track Don't Lock the Door, Austin McCutcheon, White Bark Pine on Independence Day. I'm gonna go up in a plane in a cloud It's dark outside, I'll drive all night I got my brakes and one Take me home, you know I wanna be alone. Just take me in, 
let me be, I'm a little broken, as you can see. Sleep on the couch or on the floor. Try not to bug you anymore. And you can pull away just like you've done before. Damn it, baby, please don't lock the door. In my head, you didn't remember one damn thing I said. Just give me a chance to talk again. Can't you see I wanna be your friend? Sleep on the couch or on the floor. Try not to bug you. Like you've done before But damn it baby please Joe Armstrong, you are listening to Independence Day. Thank you ever so much for doing so. That's the song Don't Lock the Door, White Bark Pine, which is a trio uh, co-founded by my, this week's guest on Independence Day, which is Austin McCutcheon. Hello, Austin. Welcome to the show once again. Hi, thanks for having me. It's lovely to see you, and it's lovely to talk to someone who's really doing music, uh, following their own star, like at the level that you're doing, like watching you sitting sitting here watching you playing these songs. Uh, was a, was a, a very fun uh inspirational experience honestly um because i would call your song let's talk about writing for just a little bit here mm -hmm. uh i alluded to that before and we've been working our way around it but i have mike's conversations are often circuitous so but people who listen to the show probably know that let's just get on with it um who were the people you know you said before there was some church music in your upbringing who were the artists that made you want to get into specifically country music i growing up in the chicago area i didn't know anybody who listened to country music at all anything that came came from somewhere else mm -hmm. so where was it for you the genesis of this well I, I think i think the first thing that really stood out to me when i was getting more actively interested in music on my um own accord or maybe a little bit before that was my my brother was like listening to garth brooks a lot your older brother yeah and um and so i think i, th I think kind of like getting into that and listening to those songs kind of which which for a lot of people like a lot of people just like hate garth brooks just right. like hate that 
whole side of country music. But for me, that I think that was like heavily influential for me, like caring about the stuff and the melodies and like all the production uh, sounded to me at, at the age that I was listening to it, which I was probably 10, like a nine or 10, 11 um, was, was pretty influential in making me care about that sort of style of music. That was a pretty big one. A little after that, Johnny Cash. Um, and, and then like that sort of led into listening to bluegrass and like, I got kind of went down that rabbit hole and, right. and there, there's just so much music there. It's people who are really into something usually go back in time. In other words, they're, you know, that kind of happened for me. Like, gosh, I mean, the, one of the first things I listened to was the monkeys. I was mm-hmm. a child, you know, they were, my aunts and uncles had some of their LPs and they were on TV every day like after school. So I'd come home and the monkeys would be on. So like, okay, now the monkeys were a prefabricated band. You can say whether or not that's a good thing or a bad thing, but they had ace songwriters writing their music for them and they were talented individuals, Mm -hmm. are the ones that are still with us. Uh, And on a side note, I ended up opening up for Davy Jones at one point in college. Very strange experience. Uh, (laughs) But, uh, but then, you know, right away that led to a million other things and, you just keep going back. Like, okay, who, who did the people that I idolize, who do they idolize, right? Like, it's, it's, just, it's, a, it's a pretty quick jump. You go from Garth Brooks. Okay, who, who did Garth Brooks, who did he love, right? Yeah. And now you're getting to exactly what you said. You're getting to Johnny Cash. You're getting to, yeah, who knows, Gene Autry. You're getting to people, you know, like true country yeah. music. And Brooks is an interesting case because he's kind of a, he's like the Van Halen of country music. Like, yeah. everything, in, everything in modern country is kind of like pre or post Garth Brooks. But it's an interesting side note. One of the reasons country music had been selling and selling millions of records, but they in that era in the '90s they changed the way sound scan. It went from literally paper reporting of of sales to mm-hmm. automatically at point of purchase. The computers were now doing it, and overnight, country artists were selling millions of records. They always had been. So in some ways, Garth Brooks doesn't earn his bad reputation because he's he like you said he cares about songwriting. And he yeah. cares about melody, and he cares about production. It just so happens that he kind of rode that huge wave, and then we had Achy Breaky Heart. Uh, yeah, which what's his butt uh, with the mullet? Billy Ray. Cyrus. Yeah, with the the, like the king mullet of all the mullets. And now we have Miley Cyrus for God's sake. Look, we look where we are. Uh, yeah. Who's also talented, honestly, for doing her own thing. Um, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I, I don't, I don't know what to say about Billy Ray. I definitely like listen. I definitely remember that being on the radio when I was yeah. young and. I guess I probably thought it was cool at the time. I don't yeah. know. So then, uh, once it was Garth, after Garth, you said it was like Johnny Cash, that kind of thing. Like, who were you going back to from there? Like, who were the other artists? Um, well, I don't know specifically. Like, like I was kind of listening to a lot of different things around that same time. Like, like I was listening to a lot of folk mm-hmm. folk stuff too. It was like it was like Johnny Cash. I was listening to Simon and Garfunkel. I got really got into that and like there's sort of twisting harmonies and melodies and um and so surrounding like Paul Simon and then like Bob Dylan and also I was I just like um listening to Neil Young at the time which is kind of like n- not really in that same stratosphere but it's like it's like sort of its own thing so I was I was I think for me it was like I was really open to music at the time and um, I was just listening to a lot of different stuff. But I think I think the thing with the Johnny Cash thing was just like I resonated with that a lot more. But at the time, I wouldn't say I was um, 
I was really in like into writing country music. Like I think that came a little bit later for me. And, but I I was really like kind of like digesting all this stuff I was listening to at the time. Well, let's, let's go ahead and hear you. Let's have you play a song. We'll come back and I want to hear exactly that, like how you got from listening to writing. Because not everybody makes that jump, even musicians. Some people just become players. Not that there's anything, I shouldn't, see the word, I shouldn't say the word just. But some people become ace players, but they don't ever write. Yeah. You know, some people become great singers and they don't write. Um, so, and, and once you get bitten by that writing bug, I feel like it's really hard to not do it from that point forward. And uh, so what's this first song we're going to do here live one? What's this first one? Uh, this one's called Lazy Cat Blues. Lazy Cat Blues. And it's a newer song, right? Yeah. Because you're working on a newer project. Other than completely separate from the White Bark Pine, you've got a brand new record you're working on of your own that's going to come out hopefully sometime early next year, right? Mm-hmm. Yep. Okay, so this is Austin McCutcheon. The song is Lazy Cat Blues on Independence Day. Days lying out in the sun, it's won't it, won't or anything gonna be won't. Left the coast full of gold, just chasing a dream. Left the coast full of gold, now he's out on the streets. Does he know there's no one to bring him down? won't be brought back down no he won't be brought back down does he know there's no smile to pull his head now he won't be left for dead now he won't be left for dead no he won't be Goes beauty with the world in her hands Got her head in the clouds And her heart in the land On the block Thirty years making nice the boys On the clock thirty years Making mean little toys Does she know There's no one To bring her down won't be brought back down No, she won't be brought back down Does she know there's no smile to pull her head Now she won't be left for dead Now she won't be left for dead No, she won't be Neighbors keep her up till morning, ain't no time to rest a soul. Yeah, big honey mama got a problem with the children go off without warning over all that sleep they stole. She's a black headed woman with a smile that kills, got me up in the morning looking for pills. Does she know there's no one to bring her down? No, she won't be brought back down. No, she won't be brought back down. 
Does she know there's no smile to hold her head? Now she won't be left for dead. Now she won't be left for dead. No, she won't be. That is Austin McCutcheon. Thanks for listening to Independence Day. Drop by indepthday.com to hear this and 160 plus other episodes. Austin, welcome to the family. Kind of call it a family. Like all these artists that I've had on the show, they all know each other. Yeah. You know? So it's like it's, I just keep cycling through everybody and there's so much talent in this town. It's incredible, I think. Um, we're talking about writing right now. We're going to talk about geography later. We're going to talk about uh, Yosemite a little bit, I think. Can't wait to talk to that part because I'm headed up there pretty soon. Um, what was it that made the jump? Like, would you would you admit the first the title of your first song? Can you do you remember the title of your first song? Um, no, <laughs> no, you don't remember. No, you're not willing to admit. No, I remember it. the song, but I don't remember the, what the title was. Okay, but I remember I remember being 15 and like performing it at a high school uh-huh. talent show. Was it well received? Uh, it was well received, um, which which was cool. Yeah. That's a great. That, that was like the first time I I had that happen, and I think uh, maybe made like a little bit of a trigger towards yeah. wanting to do that more. Once you get a taste of that kind of thing, I mean, I don't want to call it adulation, uh, but it is to a certain extent. Once people clap for you and something you created out of the ether, yeah, I think it changes you. It plants it definitely. If the seed wasn't already planted, it waters that seed that you've had. Yeah. And so it was just one song, like a talent show kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, my my uh, a friend of mine I'd been um, hanging out with. He was like really into recording and had this like little digi box. I think it was like one of the first things by Boss. It mm-hmm. was made by Boss. One of the first home like digital recording things, and it had like a little CD drive uh-huh. that you could like record onto the box and then mix it in the in the the. And it would thing, burn a CD for you, and it burned the CD and spit the CD out. Yeah. And, and he, he and I had been like, like messing around with that. He wanted to like learn how to use it. And I was trying to like write write stuff and like sing and like thought maybe I wanted to do that. So that was, uh, all around the same time. And I, uh, his name is Dave Vitrano and I still work on projects. He actually recorded the white bark pine record. Oh, cool. Yeah. From, yeah. from Chicago. And so now stylistically speaking, um, because you've kind of settled into something I would call, I don't want to call it traditional country because it's not exactly that. We'll talk more about that in a minute. But like, it, it, is, it was how different was that first song from what you're doing now stylistically? Was it more on the Simon and Garfunkel side? Was it a rock song? Was it like, yeah, it was definitely more on the Simon and Garfunkel okay. kind, of, kind of thing. Chicks love that stuff. Yeah, I, <laughs> I, I guess so. I never, <laughs> I never reaped the benefits of that in high school. But. Yeah, well... <laughs> They, that's just because they were shy. Yeah. It's a funny thing. There was a guy in my high school who had done that. I think I was a soft, mind of freshman year. He was a senior. Mm-hmm. Uh, Mike Heaton, uh, still a guy that I know. And he played like at the big assembly thing. He played a couple songs that he'd written. And it just, it just blew my mind. Because at that point, I didn't know it was something you could kind of do. You know, I come from blue collar roots. People get like factory jobs or, you know, do what they do, have their kids <laughs> get old. Um, like something as crazy as writing songs for a living or being a musician for a living wasn't something that was really on my radar. And watching him do what he did, and he's still a professional musician to this very day. 
And it just blew my mind, changed my life, honestly. Like that first experience of seeing someone do it. And then, and then it was just the next year I was doing it myself. You know, when you're a kid, that stuff, those changes happen. Changes yeah. happen fast. Um, so then uh, at that point, so you'd written, that, that first song you played was the very first song you'd written, you think? Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And then from there, you know, how long before the second song? Was it something, because for some people, I guess that could be a one-off thing. You know, it's like playing college basketball. They played, and then they went off and did their real career. Like, but you kept at it. Yeah, I, I mean, I, yeah, I kept, I kept writing songs. It all sucked. It was all, like, horrible. But it, I, I wrote, like, a bunch of, um, I wrote, like, a bunch of songs around that time. And, and listening back is, like, kind of, like, painful. Yeah, of course. It's like it's like the strangest, like most. I just like feel very alien from all of it. Yeah, but but I guess like all of that, that's a part of it. I think that's pretty normal, though. Is it okay? <laughs> um, well, I remember reading uh, uh, Brian Adams. Whether you like him or not, has sold tons of records. International artist. Mm. Uh, he's got a writing partner, Jim Valance. I think is how you pronounce it, Valance Valance. Um, and I read an interview with him once because I like the way he wrote rock songs because back in the day, those were pop rock songs, but they were good. They were well-written, well-constructed. Mm -hmm. And he said he'd written like 200 songs before he was willing to show anybody anything he'd written. Yeah. You know, which is more than most artists will ever write yeah. in terms of songs. And there, he felt like at that point, that was the first time he felt it was even worth showing anybody. Um, so at what point do you feel it might have changed for you as a writer? Like, did what was the, how much later after that first song did you write something you thought to yourself, well, that actually might be okay. That might be good. Um, pro probably like probably three or four years. Okay. Um, I, I wrote like a couple of things I would I'd come, I'd sort of gotten out of the Midwest and came out to California and was hanging out out here for a summer and like was, uh, was then starting to listen to more bluegrass and stuff. And I, I think I was sort of making a shift style stylistically towards something that was like a little more defined. Mm hmm. And, um, and yeah, like, like I, I think I wrote a couple songs that summer that I thought were pretty decent. It's hard to find your own voice as an artist. I think, mm -hmm. you know, especially now in the age of the internet, when everything, we've had everything all the time in your pocket at all times. Like, how do you, how do you decide what to not be? You know, it's like when you're young, you're like, you want to do a little bit of everything. I want to incorporate all these different things. And we do live in a mashup world. You know, everything, all those influences, your Garth Brooks and your Simon and Garfunkel and the, the stuff your parents listen to and the church stuff, like it all goes in there somehow. But then how do you distill that and become what you are, you know? Because um, we're standing, you know, I say this all the time, we're standing on the shoulders of giants, but we still have to find our own voice. If we're going to be an artist, unless you're just going to be a cover artist, like you have to find your own thing. Yeah. You know, was there something that made you, was there a life event that made you decide to do, at this point, were you doing, like you said, it's more defined style. Was it bluegrass? Was it like leaning towards country? Like where, how close are you getting to where you are now at that point? I think, I think, I mean, I think it was somewhere in the, I think it was like sort of more towards the acoustic, the acoustic side of it. Cause that, that's what was available to me at the time. Right. It was, I had an acoustic guitar and any, anybody I was like hanging out with and playing music with was the same thing. It was just like acoustic instruments. Yeah. So I think that's, that was sort of um, where my head was at with it so i guess like you know the simon and garfunkel thing's not too far off um it's right there but um totally i didn't i didn't have much of a scope for larger production stuff at the time um so yeah that that's kind of like i guess that's that's the answer does that answer the question no i don't know 
It's a conversation, man. I don't know. We're going back and forth with this kind of thing. Uh, so, so then, okay, let, let's, let's switch kind of to geography a little bit, because that seems to maybe an easier way to kind of get at this kind of thing in terms of your career, because you've been all over the place, right? You're kind of a rambling man. Mm-hmm. Um, so you've gone to California, and were you in the mountains at this point, that first time you were in California? Yeah, I worked in Yosemite Valley. For so that was, a, that was, for, the, for, that was for, right off. For a summer, yeah. Okay. And uh, so and first of all, I have to say, you're like my idol in that regard. Every time I go to Yosemite National Park, I, I daydream of what it would be like to work there. Because as far as I know, as of a few years ago, you can legally only spend two weeks sleeping in Yosemite National Park if you're just mm-hmm. a citizen of the United States. Yeah. And the poor, the climbers, the climber guys, the dirtbag climbers, like that's like their... That's like their life's work is trying to figure out how to be in the park, right? Sleeping in vans. There's yeah. that one crazy guy who like sleeps off in the woods somewhere yeah. that they busted not too long ago. Um, so w- what were you doing specifically in the park? Um, I worked for, I worked for uh, the corporation in the park. Delaware North. Delaware North. The yeah. evil empire yeah, that it exactly. turned out to be and probably was at the time. So it was like concessions or yeah. were you... Okay, so would you have been the guy that was checking me out at the Yosemite store? Yeah, man, I might have talked to but you, but not there. I was, <laughs> ma- I would have made your pizza. Okay, okay. So was that like the pizza? There's that Dengan's Deli. Is that the one, or was the, it? It what used to be the Curry Village Pizza Deck. Now it's like the Half Dome Village. Yeah, it's Half Dome Village. I was just there not too long. ago. So you were okay. So I've, I've eaten those. I just had one of those pizzas a few weeks ago. I'll have yeah, another yeah. one coming up here in a couple weeks. That's actually one of my favorite places to have a beer in the whole world. It's that deck. Yeah, it's it's pretty fun. It's very, very nice. And it's funny because it was years before I figured that out because I, I didn't know much about Curry Village, which is now Half Dome Village. Uh, but, uh, man, so how does one even get a gig like that? Did you just like go on a website and fill it out? or like, uh, what, what have you made you think of that? Like a kid from Missouri who's in Illinois? Like, a, what made you think of that? A friend of mine from Wheaton found, found out about it. We, were, we had both like dropped out of college at the same time, and he was... Uh, he was looking for something to do for the summer and he found, he found it and I filled out the application cause I was looking to get out of the Midwest and, um, they got back to me and I was approved for a job. Uh, granted I went through an interview process or whatever. And then, um, and then I just drove out Yeah, and he didn't end up, we were going to be like roommates and like, and all that. And then he didn't end up showing up. So, where this is off topic, but like, where do they do they like help you find a place to stay? And you stay like right in the, the valley? Yeah, there's like employee housing, okay, and tent cabins, okay. That must have been amazing. Yeah, it's fun. It's Were fun. you like uh, in the dirt like every off hour you had, like just kind of climbing around? Yeah, I mean, I'm not I'm not that much into climbing, but definitely like hiking, well, hiking. Around, hiking around and stuff for sure. Yeah, you're still my you're my idol man. Seriously, that's like the coolest thing. I mean, I'm, I'm, I hesitate, hesitate to say I'm too old because you're never too old for anything. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I still, I talk to every checkout person there. And no matter whether I'm buying a magnet for my fridge or a pizza or a beer or whatever, it's like, man, you got to tell me your story. I love it here. Yeah. So maybe it's like, like my, my life's work is just talking to people about stuff. But, um, so then was it just the one season? Like once, like one summer? Were you there? Like how long were you there exactly? Yeah, I did that for a summer and then I moved back to the Midwest. Okay. And, then- and so, I'm, I'm imagining like in my in my dreams, like are you sitting around campfires at night playing songs or like sitting around 10 cabins at night playing songs? Yep, pretty much. Man, that's the life. Yeah. Would you do it again? Uh, I don't I don't know if I'd work in, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. Maybe. Maybe. It's Aramark now. Yeah. Is the concessionaire, concessionaire up mm-hmm. there. Uh, we'll see how long, how long that lasts. 
uh, for most people who don't know where we're talking about, there's a little bit of an asterisk here. Um, the company that was doing all the concessions in Yosemite National Park uh, and about a year ago or so, uh, the Park Service was looking for a new concept, like basically taking bids because the contract was up with the Delaware North Corporation. And what the government didn't know was that Delaware North had trademarked names of very key places around Yosemite Valley, the Iwani, the Iwani Hotel, Curry Village, I think Yosemite Lodge, few other places so that when if that way if the park service decided to go with a different uh concessionaire they'd have to pay the delaware north corporation essentially to use those names right so yep, that worked correct and the government was basically like hey up yours they'd found a different contract with someone else that was better with aramark and just changed the names of everything which is i think a crime well i think it was well wasn't wasn't the other way around they they were bidding for another concessionaire and they didn't until they had already lost the contract or they were threatened. That was like under threat that they were going to do that. Yeah. And they, they kind of like, I think they, they maybe, it seemed like they thought they were like bluffing and then they went after it. Yeah. Either way, I feel like what Delaware North did is unconscionable. Uh, whether it's, it's probably, obviously it's legal. Uh, and why I mean, there's in the park service shouldn't spend a bunch of money trying to fight them just to get those names. But I think it's something that belongs to everybody. Yeah, it's really petty and it really like, I don't know, it's just greedy. Yeah, it's greedy. I'm um, talking to Austin McCutcheon. He's a Los Angeles based artist. Uh, we've gotten way off topic talking about Yosemite National Park, but it's something that is a uh, place that is very, very near and dear to his heart and my heart and lots of other things. Uh, the president the, was just there. Mm-hmm. The uh, first sitting president to visit Yosemite since Kennedy. Yeah, was in office. So we're talking early '60s here. So I think that's pretty cool. Would like actually would like to have seen that. I'm glad I didn't wasn't there for the traffic. Yeah, while he was there, probably a nightmare. <laughs> probably a nightmare. Uh, let's play another song, and we'll come back. We'll talk a little bit more about geography, getting getting you to where you are now. So what's this next tune going to be, man? Uh, this one's called "A Love Like Country Songs." Tell me a little bit about it. Um, I wrote this one um, when I was living in Brooklyn. Um, I sort of was at the tail end of a relationship and um, wrote this song and it might have been the catalyst <laughs> to, to getting out of that relationship. Okay. All right. So this is Austin McCutcheon. The song is A Love Like Country Songs on Independence Day. I've been holding out for the one that's yet to come And I know you won't let me be Cause you don't know the kind of place that I come from If you try and wrap your head around Things we use we shouldn't ever say It would break your heart to see that I ain't worth a single minute of your day You were what I thought I wanted But in fact didn't want it all You come round like Christmas time 
leave me stumbling drunk and blind It's wrong It's the reason I keep coming back You never even give me time to say That I want love like country songs The kind of love just ain't around these days So I push you far away, I hope That you don't miss it, I hope you understand That you just won't stop calling me couldn't be what I had ever planned Well, I don't want to hurt you, baby I guess I just think it's fun to watch you bleed And I know that you must hate me But you gotta understand that's what I need But in fact, didn't want it all You come round like Christmas time Leave me stumbling drunk and blind It's wrong Some reason I keep coming back You never even give me time that I want love like country songs The kind of love just ain't around these days That I want love like country songs The kind of love just ain't around these days My name is Joe Armstrong. You're listening to Independence Day. Thank you for doing so. Please drop by indepday.com. That's I-N-D-E-P-D-A-Y.com. We are also on iTunes. For those of you who have iPhones or computers, which I know you all do, that's indepday.com slash iTunes. You can follow us on Instagram at indepday, also on Twitter at indepday. We are all over the internet, whether we like it or not. And you, young man, I've got a, we lectured, I lectured you before about your website kind of thing, because I've got, it's looking at you trying to find you on the internet. Like Bandcamp is the best place to find you, which is, uh, it's austinmccutcheon.com. I'm sorry, austinmccutcheon.bandcamp.com. The Bandcamp, for some reason, them putting Bandcamp after the artist's name was a, it was a good thing to do, but it always throws my brain off. Yeah, I can never get that right. I always put the dot in the wrong place. Um, and uh, on Instagram, he's pretty active on Instagram. It's instagram.com slash austinmccutcheon. And also on Twitter, I love this, Pouty Cowboy. Tell me about that, man. There's got to be a name behind this. There's got to be a story behind that. Uh, yeah, yeah. I, uh, I worked for this guy in New York, uh, 
I've like made coffee for years. That's how I make a living. And, uh, I worked for this guy who owned a coffee company and, um, I don't know, I guess they kind of like felt, he felt I was a little mopey and, uh, <laughs> and, uh, they just started calling me that. I don't know who picked it up first, like a coworker, or my boss, but it kind of stuck and I thought it's kind of funny to use. It is funny to use. It does kind of describe you a little bit. I was a pouty, more maudlin. Yeah. Perhaps. <laughs> It's become my challenge now to get a grin out of you, man. It's like yeah. my it's like my day's avocation. Uh, another great song, man. I mean, really good. Like, how how studied are you about this? Like, are you prolific with your songwriting? Uh, do you really grind out songs? Do they come to you easily? Like, tell me about your process. Um, I'm I'm I have a really heavy filter. I don't um, sometimes I, some some of them come out really quick. This one this one came out. I was riding my bike. And I, it kind of, I think it kind of like hit me. I remember, I remember like this one sort of hitting me and I ran into one of those like party stores that you see in Greenpoint. If you've ever been like Williamsburg or Greenpoint, there's these like party stores and they have like all the, um, the sort of, uh, secretary stuff, like, like paper, mm-hmm. like up near the front. And I just like bought like a pen and paper real quick and like, and jotted down about half the song. And it's a great story. I think I finished it the next day. Um, or, or later that evening, but I was like, I was like on the way to this person's house and then our apartment and I got there and then I think the next day I finished it. But, um, yeah, a lot, a lot of the songs I've sort of penned that I, that I really like kind of like come out like quickly. Mm -hmm. There's, I mean, there's, there's the, there's the ones that, that I'm, that I labor over and, um, it's kind of turned recently it's kind of been more that kind of process where uh where i'll spend a lot of time on one thing but i usually know pretty early on whether it has potential or not and when i when i when i don't really see the potential like i've sort of fallen into the habit of like kind of scrapping it quickly do you do you rewrite things ever um not not successfully (laughs) Okay. I've tried to. The jury's okay, so the jury's out on that. It's interesting that the rewrite thing is is interesting to me. Um, I don't. I mean, I'm not like a super fan for any band. Like, I don't buy all the box sets and pay for hundreds and hundreds of dollars to see their shows. I mean, there's certainly bands that I revere and artists that I love. Uh, I, I love the Jayhawks, for example, is the example I'm going to use. And when you work in the record business, you get copies of things for free, like box sets and things that you would normally not spend a couple hundred bucks to buy. So at one point I got a Jayhawks box set that someone had given me, which was very kind of them to do so. And on there were demo versions of songs that I knew very, very well and revered very much. And the demo versions of these songs, it was very jarring to hear different lyrics in places or different arrangements in places. Cause it was songs that I really, really knew in my bones. And I think it's interesting when artists, you know, they a lot of times they do that when they get into the studio, right? Or people who are songwriting uh, with other people, you know, they'll have an idea, they'll bring it in, and then it'll kind of morph and change. Um, and that was, that was an education for me to see something like how it could be a different way and to see how they improved it. I think, and I think that's something that I think we could all learn as a songwriter, like maybe take something that's yours, you know, something you haven't used, like smash it apart, you know, something maybe you thought was a good idea when you first had it and then you abandon it like you said you do when you feel like it maybe doesn't have legs. But then maybe revisit it and see what you can make out of it, you know, like an exercise. I think that would be an interesting thing to do. Yeah, that's really cool. Um, do you co-write or are you pretty much lone wolf when it comes to writing? 
Uh, mostly Lone Wolf. I've had. Um, there's actually there's a co-write on the record I'm going to put out that I think turned out successfully. I like I like the song. Um, I was I was on a road trip with my friend Marnie. This other songwriter named Marnie Lyon Proudfit. She's uh she's out of Utah, and she's she sort of floated around a good bit. She she lived on the East Coast for a minute. Was in Boston and then Brooklyn, and then I sort of met her out here while she was in transit. And then um, we we took this road trip together, and then wrote this song, sort of surrounding that. Um, not on the ra- it's not on the radio station today, but it'll be on the record. Yeah, whenever that comes out, the new one that you're working on. Yeah. And you were talking about before about how you know you'll you'll kind of abandon a song if it's not working. You actually, at some point when you were living in Brooklyn, you abandoned an entire record project. Yeah. Right. Tell me, because that's that takes cojones to be working on something and to get you know you get momentum and you get some gravity and you get some some you know inertia going behind it and then like what caused you to pull the plug on that um i i had sort of had a band together out there for a while and we um i finally sort of got it together with a friend who wanted to sort of back the project and um and so i I had the i had the funds together and i was looking for some different studio options. And I, I really had it in my head that I wanted to do it in like a really like beautiful space and, and cut it live with the band and kind of do that approach. Cause we've been playing out a bunch and response to the shows is really good. So like when you're performing all the time and the response is really good, like, you know, for me, the instinct is like, Oh, we got to do it this way. You yeah. know, this is how the record's got to be made. It, cause if, cause I'm, if I'm getting this response, it shows, I mean, like, you're doing the right thing. I'm doing the right thing. So that's the response a record's going to get, which is like a valuable lesson to learn. That's maybe not the case. Right. But uh, so basically got got my team together and got the money together, went and worked out of this beautiful studio up in Hudson, New York, and spent five days tracking. And, you know, the vibe just wasn't right. It was, mm-hmm. it was uh, we were working with an engineer that I, I didn't know well and... And there was just there was just something off. Like the the drummer I'd committed to the record had to bail like a week out, so mm. we were using like it, like like there was just like I feel like there was just like a few things that were off about it. And uh, you know, coming out of it, like I think the f- the feel on everything was like really stiff. Yeah. And um, and you know, I thought I start you know I started showing it to different people and they're like oh yeah like I was getting I was getting mixed responses okay and so I was like well I'm gonna mix it anyways so I took it to my buddy Dave and we we mixed it in this studio in Indiana that he was working out of at the time which was a more affordable option I was basically out of money at that point right and so I was like well I got to find an affordable option to mix this record so I went to Indiana and we did that and I thought it was all right but I was still kind of like getting weird. I don't know. I was getting, I was getting mixed feedback from people about it. And I was also like feeling pretty, uh, pretty over New York Yeah. at that point. If that's, if that's like easy to understand, um, I'm not, yeah, I, I, I was kind of like missing California, I think a little bit and wanted to, wanted to just get out of New York and kind of like, shake things up a little bit yeah and so yeah so i i kind of like split (laughs) (laughs) 
It's a good way to say it. And yeah, and that's kind of what happened. And so rewind just a little bit. I mean, I want to talk about like what makes you decide to leave a place. But first, New York is, a, is an interesting place to decide to go to. I, having lived there myself, it takes a lot of energy to live in New York because New York just vibrates mm-hmm. at this like subharmonic level all the time, right? There's always this vibrational energy, human energy yeah. and human activity. And what made you decide, because yeah, as someone who writes country music, more or less, um, why New York? I mean, I know York, New York, I mean, you know, uh, Roscoe Amble's got a studio there. I mean, there are other people doing country-ish music in New York, but it's not really particularly renowned for its country music. Like, why did you decide to go to New York as opposed to Austin or Nashville, for yeah. example? Um, well, I, I really hadn't thought too much about, I thought a, a lot about leaving Missouri, like getting, getting out of the Midwest and stuff again. And, um, I hadn't, I'd sort of set my sights on California again and coming back out, out to California and like that, my sort of situation fell through there. And then like that same week I got a call from a buddy who just moved to New York, a high school friend from Chicago. And he had sort of a, a bead on an apartment to move into. And I was, I was just like ready to like go anywhere at that point. Something new. Yeah. And so, so New York was kind of, I'd never really thought about moving there or living there or anything like that. I just kind of ended up there. And, um, and then I just like, you know, when you're, when you're in a situation that's unfamiliar to you, you're sort of just like thrust to into like working it out. Right. Just like figure it's it out. It's good for you, I think. Yeah, totally. Because it really forces you, uh, it, well, A, it provides a chance for you to redefine yourself if that's what you want to do. You know, whenever you, a sea change, a whole new place, right? Mm-hmm. Who are you? Who is Austin McCutcheon? Like, who, who am I going to be perceived as in this new environment, right? Yeah. Um, and it's also, I think it's really good. I think people, I think it's good for people to shake up their lives and go to a new place and have to do that, have to define themselves. What do you hold on to? What do you let go of in terms of your past? You know, are you going to always, I mean, you always know those people when they go to a different place like New York or college and their head and their heart is always back home, right? And yeah. I feel like they're never there. Yeah. You know, they're existing there. They're eating and working and having their lives, but they don't really are there. I have a rule that you don't know what it's like to be in a place until you've been bored there. Yeah. Is my rule. And that goes for anywhere. You know, I've never been bored in Yosemite, which means I've got to spend more time there. Uh, and I've, you know, I guess I've been in Los Angeles about 11 years and I guess I've been bored here a little bit, but there's so much to do. Yeah. You know, um, but I think it's, it's unique, like watching your path, you know, tracing it from Missouri to Chicago to California to New York to it's, it's, it, you seem to have a knack for like escape velocity. You know, it takes, it's a space reference. Like you can get into orbit. It takes a lot less energy to get into earth orbit than it does to actually escape the earth's gravity, right? So going to the moon, it's a much larger rocket than it is just to go around in orbit like a satellite. So, but you're good at escape velocity, man. For better or for worse. <laughs> Have you ever been told that before? You've probably never been told you're good at escape velocity. Yeah, I don't know. No, Was there a girl involved in going to New York or no? No. All right. Well, that's pure then because I went to New York for a girl. Yeah, no, I didn't. I didn't do that. I can't say. I, uh, yeah. Rule, rule number one, never move somewhere for a girl. <laughs> yeah. That's a good rule. But see, it took me to New York though. So, you know, looking back, I'm glad I got to do that. Cause like you, I never once thought of moving to New York city. It's a cool place. I'd visited it. It was fun. Um, and then when it kind of, it made sense at the time, I was like, I'm glad I did that because I did. It, it allowed me to let go of some things and embrace other things and become who I thought I was or who I needed to be. Yeah. 
Um, and New York will certainly shake that out of you because it is not a place. They do not suffer fools there. It's not time <laughs> for you know being lackadaisical in New York. Yeah. Um, and then so now this escape velocity. This is not. Let's, we, this is how we started on this New York thing. Like, what made you decide? At what point you were there? What five years? Yeah, just about. And what made you like? It was there a specific moment? You're like, okay, I got to get out. Uh, yeah, I was. I mean, I, I was. I was trying to put together this show and was like kind of putting a lot of energy into making this thing happen. And and you know, there's there's a lot a lot of. Uh, a lot of venues and like bars and like places opening up all the time in New York. I don't know. Like if you've lived there, you know that this happens and scenes change and everything's constantly like morphing and turning into these different things. And there was this venue that was opening up, um, off, off a stop nearby. And I had sort of put all my eggs in the bat, this basket that was like this show I was going to put on this show. And I had like a cool lineup and was trying to do this thing. And, and the, the, the venue was supposed to have like, sound and stuff ready at the time of the thing and it was like kind of like the the kicker for right. for making it possible and and they like they like pulled the plug on it like a month out hmm. and and I sort of had like I don't know I felt like I had like all the, all these people were invested in what I was doing like like I had all the all these people together in on doing this thing and it it just kind of like fell apart and like I think that was like kind of the catalyst for being okay I'm, took the wind out of your sails yeah it's kind of it kind of like bummed me out so um, and then was the logic would you go straight to california at that point was like that the logical thing uh yeah okay so why now what is it about california right because now california is a place where you are now you've come here at least twice well I, so there, there I, must be something to this place well i guess it wasn't exactly california i actually i actually wanted to check out austin but um but there's there's also like a few other things like my my dad had to have emergency heart surgery like like six months prior to that or something like that. And so I, I sort of had this plan. I was like, well, I'm going to get out of here and I'm going to go spend some time with my dad. Mm-hmm. So Where's your dad? I went. Uh, he and my mom live in outside Oklahoma City now. Okay. They're in Noble, Oklahoma, which is like near Norman or sort of the extended area away from Oklahoma City. And um, so I... I was like, well, maybe, maybe we can do a sort of road trip thing because I kind of want to go back to the West Coast. and But I've always wanted to check out Austin because everyone talks about Austin all the time. And my name is Austin. And like like people are always like saying like, oh, you, you should move. This. But, you know, it's really <laughs> dumb. Those those but, people should be hosed down in the yard. That's yeah. anyway, go on. But uh, but my dad's from there. So we have I there, there's there's roots in my family that are there. His cousins still live there. And so so there's some connections there. And I'd met some artists who had come through New York, who were living down there. So I was like, okay, well, I can get a trajectory. Um, we'll start in Oklahoma and then kind of kind of like make my way out west. So we did like we did Austin, down through San Antonio, did the 10, mm-hmm. all all along that sort of southern area of those states and and came out that way. Austin was cool, spent like three days there. It wasn't south by, it was like, you know, nor get really got a good vibe for the town. Yeah. It's a really it's a really cool place. And it was it was fun being there. We went and checked out Lockhart, that uh Kreitz Market and mm-hmm. Lockhart, got some good barbecue and um and and that was really fun. And then and headed out headed out to California that way and then came up the coast, went through LA. We didn't really stop at that point, but we sort of had our eyes set on San Francisco. 
and I wanted to do like Big Sur and mm-hmm. like do the do the coast area there, and so um, sort of came up that way, and then went to San Francisco, and then he dropped me off back in L.A. before he headed back to Oklahoma. But I had I had a bag packed in my guitar. Okay, and so and. And, you know, uh, he and my mom have always been supportive of, like, whatever I want to do. And they were like, well, if you want to do this, then if you want to, you know, live out of a backpack yeah. and, <laughs> and, like, go do it, whatever. Yeah. So That's interesting. That's yet another, like, doppelganger type thing that you and I share. I did an almost identical trip, except I had my Honda Accord along with yeah. my guitar and my cooler and, you know, my clothes and stuff. Like, I started with my folks' place in Alabama. My brother went with me as far as Austin because I was literally looking for a new place to live. Yeah. And I went to Austin. Well, we stopped by New Orleans. It was hot as balls. It was like August. Yeah. Camping on Avery, near Avery Island. It's like camping yeah. in a bowl of soup. Yeah. Went to Austin, spent a few weeks there, just checking it out. We had some friends, you know, checked out everything, jogged around, uh, what was it, Lake Travis? Is that the name of the lake that's right there? Um, hot, but I loved it. Great food, great people. Uh, but I wasn't done wandering, wasn't done rambling. So my brother went home. Sadly, I wish he'd come with me. And then we continued. I just continued west, following the ten or following the ten out. Then the eight went to San Diego. Had friends there. Went up to L.A. Spent some time here. Went to San Francisco, Marin County. Spent some time there. And that was the first time I went to Yosemite. Went to Yosemite. Then up to Tahoe. Then over to uh, Chico. Up the five, all the way to Oregon. And I was kind of running out of money, and it was getting on to be fall. Yeah. So I kind of turned around, came all the way down the coast, Big Sur, like you said, back to San Francisco, back to L.A., back to Chicago, back to Alabama, and then eventually moved to L.A. Yeah. So, man, man, we need to drink more beer together. <laughs> Seriously, I'm going to get you talking yet. So my uh, guest this week, Austin McCutcheon. You should really hear this guy's music. He's got some new songs he's playing for us today. He's got some other, he's got an EP and another album, like a live record, right? Yeah, I I, I sort of had this recording of a, you talking about the Zebulon thing? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I had a, re- a recording of a show that I I, I liked, I, I, like a... And last year, like my my birthday's in August, and I was like, oh, I'm just gonna put out like a cassette tape for my birthday. Okay. And so uh, that's on that's on Bandcamp, and you can okay. check it on this. So he's got a couple records you can check out. AustinMcCutcheon.bandcamp.com is the best place to check that out. You can also follow on Instagram. Can't listen to a whole lot, but you can check out what he's up to. Instagram.com/slash/AustinMcCutcheon. And just so we're clear, uh, Austin with an I, uh, and M C C capital C U T C H E N. Good uh, good Scottish name, man. You ever worn a kilt? No. no. You should try it. I was in Brigadoon in high school. It's actually kind of cool. I have a Scottish last name as well. Uh, so, all right. So, let's check this out. Play another song. What's this next one going to be, man? Uh, this one's called Do Me Right, Take Me Out. Tell me a bit about this. Let's hear it. Um, this this one's sort of a, I guess, a bit of a love song. And it's, it's kind of about leaving a place and looking for love and stuff like that. Do you have a girlfriend now? Uh, no. No? Still looking for love? I guess so. (laughs) All right, Austin. This is Austin McCutcheon on Independence Day. This one's called Do Me Right, Take Me Out. can't see the end Won't you do me right Take me out please Keep me far away from sin 
They've been raising up arms, putting up on a hill. Won't you say? Won't you do me right? Take me out, please. Won't you take me away? It's been years since I left that old house, that old home in the woods. My heart don't remember one thing, my things it didn't have not a friend Won't you do me right Take me out Please keep me far away From sin I've got a hole in my pocket, I ain't got a dime to my name Well I worked all my lifetime, the people they all treat me the same Been hard on my luck and I feel like a peasant sometimes Won't you do me right, take me out, please Won't you say that you're mine And I've given you answers to a whole lot of questions you've had You ain't said a damn word about yourself And I'm feeling so bad Won't you come close and tell me you love me and you'll always take time And just do me right, take me out please, won't you say that you're mine And just do me right, take me out mama, just say that you're mine My name is Joe Armstrong. Thank you for listening to Independence Day. Check us out, www.indepthday.com. Follow us on Twitter. Follow us on Instagram. Uh, my guest this week, Mr. Austin McCutcheon. He's a Los Angeles-based singer-songwriter. But man, you are good at rambling above just about anything else I've ever seen. Uh, he's lived in New York. He's spent some time in California, spent some time in the Sierra Nevada, has roots in rural Missouri, as well as uh, rural western suburbs of Chicago. Uh man, so much to talk about. Let's talk a little bit about this new project you've got working on. Because like you've you've got a live record, you've got an EP, you've scrapped a record back in New York. You've obviously got great songs. So what are your hopes? Like what are your plans and hopes for this record that you're working on now? You're hoping to release early next year. How far are you into the process? Uh, well, we we we're about halfway through the mixing process of the record. Um, yeah, pl- plan hopefully use use the. Use time this year to get something going with it. I don't. Uh, I it's all it's all self funded. I've put it all together. Found a producer uh-huh. here in L.A. and 
um, just kind of like slowly plugging away at it. We started in January. So, uh, just been working on that bit by bit and yeah, hopefully have it out early next year and hopefully have some sort of like support behind it. Yeah. This, this is a kind of a key moment because you've yet to release like a full album, right? Cause you started that one, you were working up in Hudson, up, up north in yeah. New York and you've got the Zebulon live thing and you've got the EP, which sounds great. Uh, and these new songs sound great. Um, and uh, 10 songs, like, are you a guy who'd like, yeah, you like shorter records or longer records? No, I like long records. Okay. Not too long, but you know, long enough. Well, yeah, you want to give something to people for their money that they're not spending to buy your stuff, right? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Do you buy music? Yeah. Yeah. Do you like, all right. Now you seem like an analog guy. Are you a vinyl guy? Or are you, uh, I, I haven't been a vinyl, vinyl guy in a while. Like I, since basically since I left New York, I had like, I had like a decent collection of records when I was living there and I don't, I don't have my buddy Dave's like holding on to them for me in Chicago. Yeah. And, uh, but, but I would maybe if I have my own place at some point. Yeah. And, uh, you're not living in your car now. No, I'm not. Cause at one point you said you were living, you were kind of living out of a pickup truck. Yeah. I had a, I, had a, I bought a truck and, built a bed in the back and was kind of living out of that for a like while. a camper cap kind of thing mm-hmm. well tell me like what what's the best thing about that um i don't know you can park it anywhere more or less in california there's a lot more places you can park it than other places but um yeah i don't know i mean there, there's there's a little bit of freedom to that um and just like being able to like kind of uh take your life with you take your take your stuff with you and how do you keep your guitar from melting that's my that was always my challenge like when i was traveling by car like how do you because acoustic guitar is not very uh it's glued together essentially if it gets too warm it just collapses upon itself park park it in the shade i mean i mean hopefully (laughs) simple and elegant solution yeah i mean a lot a lot of the time those situations i'm like um you know i've sort of made a, a lot of friends through like Rambling. driving around and stuff so usually trying to find like a place to touch down and like have like um have like connection be able yeah to, like put my guitar inside a somewhere. safe port yeah and what's the worst thing about living out of a living out of a ford f-150 a lot of things so many things tell me just uh just like not no privacy basically um which which you know uh for, I, I like privacy, so for me, for me, that it yeah. can be devastating in moments. Yeah, hard to find women. Yeah, <laughs> where do you live? Ah, uh, <laughs> I live in the blue F one fifty parked in the Walmart right parking there. lot. Yeah. Uh, would you do it again? Uh, probably not. Yeah. I would. Yeah, I don't think. So. Even at a touring level, would you? Yeah, that'd be cool. Yeah, you could Maybe. do it to tour. Sure. I used to sell a lot of records around campfires. Like yeah. that's like a place where you can play. It's very intimate. You know, people want to like that. People are drawn to the fire. Yeah, they're usually drunk and they're drunk <laughs> or worse <laughs> on a chilly night. And, you know, and they're more free with their money because people don't buy music like they used to, you yeah. know, but I would always grab CDs and take them with me and people would buy records. I would finance, put gas in my tank that way. You know, I wouldn't say I was on tour. I was rambling, you know, I, I hesitate to say, I mean, I guess I was living out of my car at one point. I, it doesn't, it's not, I'm romanticizing it too much when I say that, but I, I didn't, you know, I was camping mostly and I'd sleep in my car from, from here or there. It's not very comfortable sleeping in an Accord though. I got to say an F-150 is a far better proposition. 
and sleeping in an accord. Yeah. Methinks. Anyway, last song, man. What's this last one? Uh, this one's called California Bound. Apt, apt and appropriate, right? What's that? Talking about it's an apt and appropriate oh, song. Yeah, talking totally. about getting to California from yeah, New York City. We've been talking about this for like man. the last ten minutes, man. Yeah. Uh, obviously, we know what it's about. Like how how much of this is artistic license and how much of this is drawn directly from personal experience? Uh, a lot of it's personal experience. And I want you everybody to listen along and see how far he gets. See how far this character, this the titular character, which is is that you? Uh, I guess so. Yeah, it's it's pretty autobiographical. Close enough. Close enough. Okay, Austin McCutcheon. One last song. This is California Bound and Independence Day. Long lonely winter and the rent weren't cheap Helping ease the pain Just kept waiting for the snow to fall Never did, things just stayed the same I traded off my records Tried to get some cash and help the knees arrive I got just 3,000 miles And my mom says that God is on my side I loaded up a pickup truck Filled the tank and hit the road at dawn And now I'm out here on the highway And the road just seems to stretch out on and on And every time it winds I have to tell myself to wake up from a dream I got just 2,000 miles And my heart is tearing open at the scene well, I can't wait to see the mountains I can't wait to smell the air It's the sound of country melody Love left out there I can't wait to leave the highway Feel small among the stars Can't believe I traded all that For this city full of bars I think I might break your party up Cause I've been out here by the highway With a beat up thumb and a broke down pickup truck In Oklahoma City ain't the kind of place To make me settle down I got just a thousand miles Out on Highway 10 in California bound I got just a thousand miles. This week's guest on Independence Day, Austin McCutcheon. Man, you've got a well-worn set of boots there. That's pretty cool. I'm going to put a picture of that up on the uh, on the thing. Those are good. Like those look like you've had a lot of miles in those boots. Yeah. 
like rambling man like yourself should have a good set of rambling boots, man. Totally. Good stuff. So Austin, it's been a delight talking to you, man. Um, it seems that you speak mostly through your music. That's kind of the way that you relate to the world. That's, at least that's the impression I get having spent the last hour talking with you here. Yeah. But you do it well. You're, like that's You're regretting? No, not in the least. <laughs> Not in the least, man. I love getting to know people. I love these challenges. I love talking to every different type of person about every different type of thing. Um, it's been, it's, it's been, it was an honor listening to hear you play your songs. It's very, very good. I love, people should check you out. Uh, it's austinmccutcheon.bandcamp.com uh, is the best place to check this out. Also on Instagram at austinmccutcheon and uh, Twitter. I love this at pouty cowboy, P O U T Y cowboy. You know how to spell that. Um, and you've got some shows coming up here. And this new um, White Bark Pine record just came out yesterday. Can people pick that up on your uh, record, your website? Yeah, it's on. Um, I mean, they can get it on iTunes. It'll it's on Spotify. It's on um, basically anywhere you look for it. It'll also be on the Bandcamp, the WhiteBarkPine.bandcamp.com. Okay. Will you do any shows with the trio? Yeah, we're doing tomorrow. We're doing a show up in the Eastern Sierra in the Mono Basin at the Tioga Mobile Mart, which is a very very unique place. People don't know this. If you go up the 395 from LA on the eastern side of the Sierra, right where it meets Tioga Road, which goes over. Toga Pass into Yosemite Park from the Eastern Slope. Uh, there's a gas station. It's a mobile of all places. It seems like it should be some privately owned thing, but it's a mobile station. Yeah. But a chef had founded like a, a chef from LA, I think originally, right? Mm-hmm. Had moved up there and founded the Wo the Wo Nelly Deli. Uh, did I get it right? Yeah, totally. And uh, you know, he was a really good chef, and you can get great food up there. I think you know, Austin, you said he's moved on to Mammoth, which is a cooler probably place to be than Levine. There's not a whole lot in Levine. Um, but uh, but there's a music festival there as well. This, yeah, they do. At, at the they do a summer concert series and do Thursday nights. So we're doing the the show that week. And very cool, man. Should be fun. so. If you happen to find yourself by Mono Lake, uh, right at the Levine in Levining, there uh, tomorrow night, you should check that out. It's White Bark Pine is the trio he's got with a park ranger and then uh, your other buddy too. Yep. Okay, and then also Grand Ole Echo coming up. That's just very soon, right around the corner. Uh, that's on the seventh of August, and then Desert Nights, which I think is unconfirmed at this point, but that's out at uh, Palm Springs, correct? Uh, that one's in uh, West Hollywood. West Hollywood. Well, I didn't know they were doing those here now. At the Standard in West Hollywood. Oh, I got that mixed up with the other one. Yeah. All right. Well, cool. People should check that. We think that's going to be on the 17th. You can confirm it by going to his website. And uh, check out his music. Buy his music. Man, keep in touch. Let me know when the new record comes out. I'm looking forward to it quite a bit. Will do. It's good stuff, man. It's been a pleasure talking to you, Austin. Thanks, man. So thanks to Austin McCutcheon, also to the Independence Day staff, Dale Tanksley, Wayne Topinski, and Sally Shackleton. The debonair Tony Tonlo Piscotti manages the Independence Day website. Independence Day's theme music was composed by Great Lakes Myth Society. Check them out, too. For Independence Day, as always, I'm Joe Armstrong. If you do one thing today, please be good to one another.